Oh, I can't hear anything. I'm trying to podcast down here. Okay. <laughs> I think there's, I think there's, okay. Okay. they were just really going at it. <laughs> Stomping. Okay. I, Stomping. <laughs> Welcome to Truths Universally Acknowledged, a podcast where two graduate students discuss NBC's Regency-inspired reality dating show, The Courtship. I'm Molly Curran. And I'm Emma Soberano. And today, Ms. Remy's love story continues. As we discussed last week, we're planning to start each episode with a little bit of a mini discussion of some aspect of the show. So last week, Emma brilliantly led us through a little bit of a discussion about Regency fashion. We finally saw some bonnets on this week's episode. I so know, they, I took note of that. They were in the background, but they were there. They were there. <laughs> they were properly shielding their faces from the sun. <laughs> yeah, practicing good skin skin care practices there. Anyway, yeah, this week, Molly is going to take the lead and talk to us about what it is that makes for a compelling romance novel hero, and maybe how some of the men on Miss Remy's season fit into that. Yeah, so I, I kind of wanted to cheat and start by asking you what you thought, like what makes a compelling romance hero? Like what are some of the main things that come to mind? Oh, that's a good question. And I like that you've turned it back on me just because you're the one who got me into romance in the in the first place as like a genre to read. Yeah. And I think as somebody who's you're familiar with romance, but you're not like deep in romance. So I think your what you your thoughts are maybe a little more representative of sort of the general. Mm, yeah, that understands. So I guess one thing that I notice from reading, you know, mostly contemporary romance, but also some historical, which you have so kindly recommended to me. I really <laughs> enjoyed the ones that you've recommended me. Is that every hero has a bit of kind of trauma that has shaped who they are. So it's something that's in their past that has kind of formed like a, a breaking point in their life where they became a little bit of a different person or started living their life in a way that was perhaps less authentic to who they actually are. So they have to overcome that in order to live their kind of like true selves and fall in love and, uh, you know, overcome that, that obstacle in order to be with the other protagonist. Literally, the first thing I wrote down was tragic backstory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I feel like it's, for some reason, with, like, male heroes in romance, it seems like it's more common for the men. Maybe that's just because, like, we don't allow men to process their trauma in productive <laughs> ways, um, and so it just stays with them. I don't know. I mean, I think arguably it's something to do in straight romance anyway. Mm -hmm. It's something to do with... One, needing to grapple with the hero's masculinity. And so that can often mean having to have him deconstruct his relationship to masculinity, often through dealing with trauma. I also think there's a degree to which, like, for quality to be achieved, sometimes men have to suffer. I'm thinking of like, Jane Eyre, right? <laughs> <Sorry. Where>? Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, Jane cannot be Rochester's equal until he is maimed and blind yeah actually and then it's physically like, disabled and then it's like oh okay now he 
now now they are on the same level. So I think yeah. maybe there's like a little bit of that holdover going, which I think mm-hmm. obviously people writing in the contemporary are thinking a lot more capaciously about like power relations and not necessarily <laughs> immediately leaping to that. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a degree to which there there's an instinct that having gone through something really difficult or having some sort of traumatic, tragic backstory will in in some way like reduce his power to the extent that she can then see him as an equal. Mm, interesting. I think it's interesting that you're saying that she can then see him as an equal um, and kind of centering this idea that there's something about the female gaze that still has this kind of ingrained not just heteronormativity but also patriarchal values right or like ideas of kind of self-ingrained misogyny um Mm. sadly where women are still seeing men as having i mean obviously there are power imbalances but as some sort of inherent power imbalance that needs to be restored through an experience of trauma and we have to like face those things in our actual lived relationships like that's part of life right like you have to recognize that yeah there are power imbalances whether that's like financial or gendered or you know all of these different Mm -hmm. possibilities you're going to have to grapple with that regardless of who your partner is and i think like there's just an attraction to vulnerability right Mm -hmm. to go back to this idea of the the traumatic like i think there's just an attraction to vulnerability because i think again i'm talking about straight romance here though i think this is probably true in all romance that characters have to open up and be vulnerable Mm -hmm. in order to find love and arguably, human beings who are real also have to do that. <laughs> so I think that the the tragic backstory, the traumatic backstory, or the unresolved trauma, whatever you want to call it, for the hero is a really crucial and common hero trait. But there are other things that make a hero. Yeah, what else makes a hero? So I think they're often resistant to love, right? Which mm-hmm. it can often be tied to the tragic backstory. They are often sort of understood to be like innately sexy in some way, (laughs) not always handsome, though usually handsome, but there is some sort of innate sexual Mm. energy to them or or, uh, magnetism. Is that sort of innate magnetism that is specific to the other lead or is it something that is kind of more widely visible, like you know more people are attracted to them it really depends i think that really depends sometimes you'll get you know the classic rake figure Mm -hmm. who is sexually appealing and like a little frightening to everybody and then the heroine is the one who is able to see the sort of humanity inside of him beyond Mm -hmm. his sexiness and then there are the ones where maybe sexiness and humanity at odds (laughs) Maybe he's, like, not conventionally attractive. Um, You get a lot of scarred heroes. Yeah. um, Heroes with facial scars or facial disfigurement in some way. And often part of what the heroine's journey is is to sort of see past his looks. I mean, it's a classic Beauty and the Beast thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, not only is he a good person, not only do I come to like his personality, but I come to find him as he is sexy. Mm Mm-hmm. And then just like a general dashingness. And again, this is, you sometimes get an awkward hero. You sometimes get a complete foot and mouth hero. 
<laughs> but usually they they are dashing or they have some dashing moments, right? Where you're like, wow, he looks good in his clothes. His hair looks great. He's smooth. He comes to the rescue at the right moment or he just says the exact right thing. And again, I think that's one of those things you can't like quite put your finger on, but mm-hmm. you you know that like hero moment when you see it. So I feel like we haven't gotten, you know, a ton of heroic rescues or anything like that this season. But what are we seeing from these men, these suitors, that shows real hero potential? When I sort of sat down to think about this, I realized my first stumbling block was that, at least on the surface, right, none of these men are resistant to love because they're supposedly here to fall in love on TV. Now, I think we can have some reservations about how that (laughs) true that is um and maybe in that way it is comparable to something like the marriage mart in regency Mm. era except pretending that love is the goal yeah or you know we have that here for the right reasons kind of thing Mm -hmm. where like you said there's the pragmatic side of social Mm -hmm. alliance or financial gain versus true love the like true love match straight out the gate the the first people who spring to mind as like classic romance hero potential captain kim number one okay how come because to me he checks all the boxes one he has this sort of backstory about like some heartbreak which Mm -hmm. isn't like you know deep trauma that you know some (laughs) romance heroes and some actual people have Mm -hmm. but it's clear that it's like something that has affected him greatly has changed Mm -hmm. the course of his life um, it's made him somewhat resistant to love or like wary of love. Yeah, he says in this episode, yeah, I had a hard time trusting women sometimes because I got my heart broken. Mm-hmm. Which is, is a very classic thing, I think, for a hero to say. And, you know, the, the heroine has to be different, has to get to him somehow in some way mm-hmm. that no other woman can <laughs> get past his defenses. And then, you know what? He's dashing and he's got great hair and he... (laughs) I'm actually not a huge fan of his hair. I think it's a little over the top, but he's certainly dashing and magnetic and very handsome and all that. I think the thing that, for me, he really pulls off is he just, like, I think I've said this before, like, to me, he just looks right. Like, he just looks right in his, like, Mm -hmm. Regency outfit. Maybe that's, like, where his, his hair works with that. Like, he could be on Bridgerton and I'd be like, yeah, makes Mm -hmm. sense. Yeah, he seems very, like, confident and comfortable, but in a way that doesn't feel put on. He might be more on the starchy side, if you are familiar (laughs) with Starchy! Starchy hero. (laughs) That's funny, I like that term. Other than him, I think there are, like, a few people who, they have certain, like, romance hero potential. Like, I don't, I feel bad saying it, but I would say, like, Mr. King certainly has this awful backstory. I hate to call it a backstory, it's his life, but you know what I mean. He does have this very recent trauma, and in many ways, I think it is the recentness of the trauma that makes him less of less able to see him as like, oh yeah, this is this character, or like he fits this trope. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was kind of thinking. It's not only like, do we have the trauma, but we have kind of this combination of trauma and expectations in him you can already see his expectations of like how he's supposed to heal or how he views his masculinity is supposed to present where he says like i never cry but he also has expectations that really align with romance novel tropes of what his potential connection with a future partner is supposed to look like right that kind Mm -hmm. of spark that specialness that connection that is only between 
these two mm-hmm. people where she can, you know, understand his particular trauma in this case. Yeah, I think what you were saying about like it being so recent does seem to make it seem like he's a possible hero in making. <laughs> Other than the two of them, I think there are a few people who give off sort of hero vibes. I thought Mr. Holland certainly, you know, he's very handsome and affable. And then sort of the revelation that we'll talk about later, that yeah. he has a one-year-old daughter, opens up a lot of interesting narrative possibilities. Oh, yeah. I sound so cold and like a little bit mean, I think, as I'm saying this, but I do think it's, this show is, as much as it's like a quote-unquote reality show, right, it is tapping into these different kinds of narrative tropes that we consciously or unconsciously recognize. Um, yes, so like exactly. I don't I don't want it to sound like I'm like these people are fictional characters and I'm <laughs> treating their life like it's a story. But I think the way the way that the show is revealing certain things, the way that the show is presenting certain of the, of the character or of the people, you know, it does give them sort of narrative grooves that it's slotting them into. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Miss Remy is called the heroine of the show, I think is really mm-hmm. indicative of them seeing this not as being inspired by actual Regency, but as being inspired by our kind of popular romantic imaginings of the Regency that come from these adaptations, right? And the show itself is crafting a narrative. They say, and we kind of stole this from them, like, the love story continues, right? And so it's a story that they're showing us. And I kind of appreciate that we actually are getting that overtly right like they're telling us even if it's not you know that they're hitting us over the head with it or anything and there's still this idea that she's there to find true love and this is her real life or whatever um as her sister says but yeah anytime that you have reality television even though we have that name reality it's still carefully crafted and narrativized the other person i wanted to mention mr mumbray who I think does have romance novel vibes, but he's a very different kind of hero because he he feels very much like the young hero. Mr. Mumbray does not claim to be experienced. I mean, he sort of talks about being inexperienced and he feels very young to me, mm-hmm. but he also is very charming, very friendly. Yeah, he's giving me real like Colin Bridgerton vibes where mm. in the first season they keep talking about how even though all of the women who are on the marriage market are obviously quite young, um, he, who is the same age or a little older than some of them, is barely out of leading strings, right? And now in the second season, for those of you who have started watching already, we start kind of getting this sense that he's become a little bit more jaded. So he's kind of building into, as, as Molly was talking about, like you have to have this experience and the kind of experience of processing trauma perhaps and time to kind of grow into that hero role. So was there anybody you were thinking of? I think you've really covered a lot of it. My two were also Mr. King and uh, Captain Kim for really the same reason. So I feel like you have done mm-hmm. such a good job of, of <laughs> teaching me uh, a romance uh, novice um, what to kind of look out for. So thank you, Molly, for sharing your expertise in this matter. Let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, we'll recap what has happened on this week's episode of The Courtship. <laughs>
Welcome back to Truths Universally Acknowledged, where we're about to recap this week's episode um, of NBC's The Courtship, where we follow Miss Nicole Remy on her journey to find love. Molly, I think we both agreed that this week's episode was the best one yet. Yes. As I said on Twitter, despite a lack of my beloved Mr. Cones. I know, it was notable. I missed his color commentary. (laughs) It was, I think, a very good episode and one that showed why this format, I think, is doing something special and is not a Bachelorette clone Mm -hmm. in dress up. Yeah, I think so too. Especially we continue to see the way that Miss Remy comports herself with care towards the suitors and how her friends in this case um, are kind of coming in and helping her with the process, her, her friend and her sister. Um, mm-hmm. Those are some of the highlights of this week. So last week we really kind of got to focus on the parents and this week we've got to focus on the other members of her quote-unquote court. Um, so her sister, Miss Baker, and her friend, Tess, who is uh, Miss Cleary, and comes to play kind of an important role in this week's episode. So we do have a bit more drama developing, but it still is kind of more of a low-key simmering that gets resolved, really, um, in ways that we don't see necessarily on other shows. So, okay, let's dive in. Yeah. This episode opens with uh, sunrise over the castle and Miss Remy in this gorgeous four-poster bed that looks very cushy. Her friend Miss Cleary and her sister Miss Baker come in and supposedly wake her up. Uh, They are all perfectly made up and their hair is all beautifully done. Um, They say good morning sunshine and jump in bed with her. It looks really fun. They have a good They're all vibe. in matching nightgowns. I know, it's adorable. And they ask her, are you re- excited to see some boys today? And she says, yeah, of course. And so we cut to the men's quarters where Mr. Mumbray brings out the daily tea. And during this time, we're kind of cutting back and forth between Miss Remy and her sister and her friend and the men all reading the daily tea, which tells them that they are going to be playing cricket today. It says- A game straight out of- Yeah, I know. A game straight out of the pages of a Jane Austen novel, supposedly. Um, I do not recall. I can't think of a single cricket scene. I cannot either. Um, I kind of am starting to think that Jane Austen is their only reference point literature of the early- 19th century. Um, And just for the listener, I would like to name a few other uh, (laughs) novelists from this time, though I will say, okay, um, Jane Austen was very popular and wrote these domestic novels. So these are some different sorts of novels, much more political, but Sir Walter Scott, Mary Shelley, Maria Edgeworth. We have Uh, you know, the novel is still rising in popularity at this time, but there were also a large number of very famous poets. Um, So Byron, Shelley, Keats, Wordsworth, the Lake poets are a little earlier, but still supremely popular. Jane Austen is not the end (laughs) of uh, Regency era literature guys courtship come on expand your uh your repertoire yeah where's our frankenstein based uh (laughs) dating show build build your mate 
Oh my god, I can understand why they're not referencing that specifically, <laughs> but we do have romantic poetry yes. um, as a really kind of critical touchstone of literature at this time. So I think they can broaden their hori- their literary horizons a little bit. But essentially, they're playing cricket, which um, the Daily Tea tells them in the Regency, there's family, queen, and and cricket. I think is what they said. And I mean, okay, fair, it is a national pastime. But I, again, do not remember any cricket scenes in Jane Austen. (laughs) I could be wrong, but they did not leave an impression. They are playing cricket because, according to the Daily Tea, both pursuits should always be played in a spirit of friendship, nobility, and fairness. Um, But really, I think this is just an opportunity to get a different sort of vibe on a date. They're playing sports. A lot of other dating shows will have sports as well. What I think is interesting about this one is that we do not see them kind of pitting the teams against each other in the same sort of way where, you know, the team that wins gets extra time or something like that. In this case, we have that the act of playing cricket is part of the time that they get to spend with Miss mm-hmm. Remy. And so she gets to see a different side of them. She's participating, so she's not just kind of like watching them run around playing cricket. Though Miss Remy, until this point, does tell us that she thought that cricket was polo. which I think is fair. My only knowledge of cricket comes from Bend It Like Beckham and also the Pall Mall game in Bridgerton, um, which is not cricket, but I thought was cricket. (laughs) (laughs) Miss Remy tells her sister that um, she wants to talk to Mr. Safa because he had a good moment with her parents. We'll see this kind of comeback to um, bite him a little bit later. Um, And then she says that she feels lucky because of the good group of men, which I agree with. It is Mm -hmm. a pretty good group of guys. Then we move on back to the the men's quarters and we get a little bit of a focus on Mr. Castronovo throughout this entire episode and you can kind of see it start here. So he begins by saying that he's gonna kind of target Mr. Kim this, this episode. And as far as I can tell, his reason for this is that Captain Kim seems like the weak link. Maybe there's something else that he doesn't like about Captain Kim, but it really felt to me like Mr. Castronovo was kind of like playing the game. Like he was trying to like strategize and like play a numbers game where if there are fewer men, then he will be a step closer to winning. But that doesn't actually recognize that he has to get to know her. She has to get to know him. She has to like him. And it's not just like, Oh, you're the only one left. I mean, this honestly seems so foolish to me that I was like, is this a producer's machinations? Like, is a producer over here going, hey. Yeah, I kind of wonder if they were like, hey, what is your strategy? And so he then felt like he had to come up with a strategy. But this... Bad strategy. It's a bad strategy. It's a bad look. I think we kind of see that, you know, this does not work out for him. And he sees it too, so... Um, hopefully we won't get more of this sort of behavior. Mm-hmm. It was still kind of frustrating to see uh, some sort of game playing here that wasn't cricket. So speaking of cricket, we have a lovely day where all of the men, along with Miss Remy's court, 
gather to play. And as our host, Mr. Edwards, tells us, women also played cricket in the 19th century, though notably they did not hike up their skirts and tie them in the way that Miss Remy does. She's such a gem. I thought that was adorable, but also that would not have flown. Um, showing too much ankle. <laughs> yeah, I, I loved her tying it up. There's a great scene um, in a Lisa Kleypas romance novel mm-hmm. where there there are a group of girls and they're playing, I think, cricket, maybe. Maybe it's something else. But they're, all, they're playing together in this sort of secluded area. And they're like, we can't do this in our dresses. So they all strip down to their under things or whatever and are playing cricket. Mm-hmm in that and I was just like you know what I can't fault them because yeah how the hell are you gonna play in yeah how are you supposed to run back and forth between the the little wickets I think and we, we talked last week right about how regency dresses you know they're not I mean these the ones that they're wearing are clearly not like super form-fitted to the leg mm-hmm. but it's not like there's a giant slit or something that you can like yeah a lot of they... range of motion <laughs> Exactly. They were actually quite restrictive, just in a very different way from previous and also later fashions. Mm-hmm. Um, so we see her kind of tie up her skirts, and that's later because she's actually playing on the team. So she and her sister are assigned to be team captains, and so they get to pick teams. Miss Remy, um, after Mr. Edwards asks, okay, who here knows what cricket is and Mr. Mumbright is the only person to raise his hand because of course the Brit is the only person who knows anything about cricket. Miss Remy picks him first. She says that it's a strategic choice which I kind of felt a little bad about but he clearly does not care. He is so pleased to get picked first. He tells us that when he was a child he was a little overweight and was usually picked last for sports and I felt so bad for him because this clearly has is something that has like kind of still affected his confidence a little bit but he seems he's so sweet and he's very kind of chuffed to get picked first. The teams are as follows. Um, On Miss Remy's team There's Mr. Mumbray, Mr. Holland, Mr. Chapman, Mr. King, Mr. Kim, and finally Mr. Bokikio. So that's the order that they get picked in. They're switching off picking. Um, On Miss Baker, her sister's team is Mr. Saffa, Mr. Shanklin, Mr. Cones, Tessa, um, so Miss Cleary, and Mr. Castronovo. So the last two to get picked are Mr. Bokikio and Mr. Castronovo, and this entire time that Ms. Remy is picking her team, Mr. Bokikio is just sweating. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> when he doesn't get picked first, he's like, um, excuse me? <laughs> and you can just tell he's like, his confidence is failing a little bit, but she tells us that she is doing this on purpose. I loved this. <laughs> Yeah, she says that she loves making Mr. Bokikio sweat, and I think it's really interesting here, her reason for it, that she um, says that basically she doesn't want him to get too cocky. She can kind of tell that he's used to getting the girls, getting his way, right? And so she wants to keep him on his toes. But when she finally does pick him, he comes up and kisses her in front of everyone twice actually and the men all have a lot to say about this they're kind of displeased not happy 
Yeah. So what did you think about this, Molly? I'm I'm sort of of two minds. One, I understand that she has previously seemed very open to physical affection and mm-hmm. doesn't seem to have any issue with him doing that. And so like I get it as a strategy and as she likes that, he's willing to do it. I don't think it's like a bad, like sleazy thing to do. Mm-hmm. Though some of the other men do say that it seems a little sleazy. I did agree a little bit with whoever said that it did feel a little desperate. Yeah. You know, like, I, I don't think it was a wrong decision, but I don't think it made him come off like he was in a stronger position. Mm-hmm. Well, so he says in his kind of, in the moment where the producer is talking to him, he says he's going to take every chance that he can to sneak in a kiss. And then he says, you know, as long as she's cool with it. And I appreciated that he added so long as she's cool with it. Um, But at the same time, it really kind of made me think about the position that the lead's in here in getting to reject kisses. Like, Mm -hmm. if she had turned away from him... And you kind of see her pull back a little bit, like, in surprise when he first goes in for the kiss. Um, The second one she seems far more okay with. But she seems taken aback a little bit for a second. And I can kind of imagine that mental calculus of, like, okay, well, if I reject him, then it's going to be a whole thing. And so I know she. this is, like, what she's signed up for, and it's just a kiss. But at the same time, I think that might be why it seemed a little desperate, right? Because he's not really giving her much of an option. It also, it felt like one of those things where it was, as much as he was like, oh, if she's cool with it, I don't care what the other guys think. Like, it kind of felt like it was for the other guys, though. You know what I mean? Yeah, it felt that's like very a true. claiming or something. Again, I, 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 I'm, she seems very clearly like someone who enjoys physical affection. She wants yeah. to feel pursued and desired. But in this moment, I think maybe because it was after she picked all these other guys ahead of him, Mm -hmm. you know, it sort of felt like him being like, oh, but I got to kiss her. And even though they don't all know, we don't know if they know this yet, but like he kissed her first. So it just, yeah, it, it felt a little marking. I don't know. I've been here. In a way that yeah. I think that was the thing that put me off. Yeah, it just really made me think about kind of like the position that the leads in the, these shows are kind of in. Um, where I think, as you said, in this case, it felt like it was less about her yes. and more about the other men. And also perhaps about kind of his own ego because he oh, keeps yeah. saying to the camera in his interviews that he he is kind of expressing disdain for the other men and so it really seemed like this this strange moment of him going for this in a way that was not thinking about her really at all um and the kind of you know choice that she would have to to make there in that moment Mm -hmm. yeah so we have you know this whole to do about this kiss and then mr edwards explains cricket he says essentially it's like a better version of baseball so if you want to know the rules of cricket look them up yourself yeah exactly i they're running around yep they're running around hitting a ball We don't see a lot of uh, Mr. Cones this episode, as Molly said, but he does provide some kind of commentary when he steps up to the plate and completely misses uh, his his bat and says, you know, I think I might be a little better at beer pong here. 
he also says he's very competitive. Competitive beer pong. <laughs> yeah, like basically he's like beer pong, buffets, competitive eating. Like He's like, yeah, yeah I, li- I like to give it my all. And then the examples mm-hmm. he gave were like competitive eating. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that's my man. <laughs> it was relatable. <laughs> I like him. So we're, we start getting them playing and you know they're they're playing i'm not really paying that much attention to who's ahead here they don't seem to really know who's ahead though they are keeping track on a scoreboard but there's a brief break where miss remy and her sister miss baker have some kind of finger sandwiches and wine those sandwiches look delicious Mm -hmm. and in this moment is when we kind of get the drama set up here where her sister looks over and sees um, Mr. Safa talking to Miss Cleary, and Miss Baker says that Miss Cleary looks bored out of her mind, which she does, <laughs> um, and that she wants to know what's going on because uh, she's nosy, and I cannot blame her. We then cut to Mr. Safa, who says, <laughs> we, we kind of cut in on this weird moment where he says, I, I love just shooting from the hip, just screwing it and doing it, and my comment here is, lol, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> but Miss Cleary translates, spontaneous. Spontaneity. That is what he means. Good for her for getting that. Screwing it and doing it. Yeah, but screwing it and doing it. He turns to her and says, you know, like, it's nice to spend time with um, an attractive young person because he says he hasn't gotten to spend much time with an attractive young person You're lately. living in a house of attractive young persons, by the way. Yeah. It's just a woman, if you mean woman. Yeah, and this clearly sets Miss Cleary on edge and kind mm-hmm. of, like, pricks her ears up. And I think, you know, she starts questioning Mr. Safa in this very kind of subtle, like, canny way. I think, to be honest, if it were anyone but Mr. Safa, I don't think it would have been that subtle. But Mr. Safa... It was very obvious, I think, to yeah. anybody else. And he just... Has no, I, I joked at this point that he himboed too close to the sun. <laughs> <laughs> himboed too close to the sun. What a great turn of phrase. I'm going to use that, Molly. She's not exactly being subtle because even as she says, like, oh, what's your type? She still keeps turning it back to Nicole. Yeah. Well, so when I say that she's being subtle here, I just mean that she's not being aggressive. She is leaving space for him to kind of dig his own grave. Um, And so she asks him, is Nicole his normal type? He kind of laughs and says no. And she asks him, like, okay, well, who do you normally go for? And he says, you know, blondes, dirty blondes, kind of clearly meaning her. And she looks kind of displeased uh, at this. And... This whole thing was interesting because Mr. Safa just clearly is not thinking before he speaks. But I appreciated that she was basically like just kind of going for it and being like, okay, have you ever dated a black girl before? I know yeah. the unspoken racial mm-hmm. context of this question and this moment, I feel like was very interesting and yes, yet also, I mean, really was unspoken. Yeah, and I think we see more of that kind of unspokenness come in later and when Tessa talks to Miss Remy. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this moment, I just appreciated that she was asking mm-hmm. like that question right there because that is a huge red flag. It's like a big yikes if Mr. Safa only dates blonde girls. So she asks him also, you know, can you see 
yourself with Nicole at the end of this. And we don't see his answer, though we later do learn that his answer was no. And this moment is just really telling, I think. So we kind of leave there on a commercial break, obviously, because the drama is high. We come back, we see, you know, Miss Remy running with her dress tied up um, between the bases. I don't know if you can call them bases, between the wickets. Um, and then we cut back to Mr. Sapa saying that he needs to find the right balance between Tess and Nicole, uh, which... Oh my god. ...was not a good look. No. I Yeah, I really just don't think that he is thinking before he talks, but it just felt like this moment where it was like, oh, you did not understand the assignment. Like, what do you think is going on here? No, I'm like, you're not just like at a house party where you're flirting with two different girls. Like, mm -hmm. you're specifically at a reality show competition where you are competing for one of those women for her heart and her love and her best friend is there to make that happen. Yeah, her best friend has a job. Her job is basically to like help weed out the people like you. <laughs> um, it was just such a moment where I was like, oh wow, he just is completely oblivious. Like he has not understood the situation, but I don't understand how he could not understand the situation. Oh man, it was so weird. But really we see Tess telling Miss Baker, so Nicole's sister, what happened because Miss Baker, you know, clearly notices that there's something going on. Maybe a producer told her like, hey, you gotta go see what's up. So she cuts in and Tess tells her and Miss Baker is clearly upset. She says, you know, this is my sister's life. This is not a game. So we, we now know that this is going to be like a through line for the episode, that Mr. Safa is in trouble. He has shot himself in the foot, really. Um, <sighs> what a fool. Oh, what a fool. What a himbo. He himboed too close <laughs> to the sun, as Molly said. God, what a great phrase. But now it's time to go back to the, the game of cricket. We see Castronovo bat, and we learn that his name is Giuseppe Castronovo, pizzeria owner from New Jersey. Like, okay, we actually already knew this. We I knew. Will say. Okay, I'm sorry. This was the moment when it really hit me because <laughs> I knew that his name was Giuseppe, but I did not realize that he was a pizzeria owner. And it just, oh man, priceless. I'm like, really, in the meantime, as we, you know, see Mr. Mombre doing well, we see. Nicole getting along with Captain Kim, which this is really kind of the first time that we see them, you know, having a good moment together that is not, you know, him trying to please her parents or trying to kind of save himself on the dance floor. <laughs> she she tells him that she likes seeing this fun and comfortable side of him and that she wishes she'd gotten to see that before. Um, and he shares his his that he's had a bad experience in the past. Um, this is where we get a little bit of that kind of reticence towards love that Molly was talking about and a little bit of kind of hinting at past trauma. But she tells him that he's one of the most attractive people that she's ever seen, which yes, very <laughs> true. And also to own it. And this, like, I got real friend vibes from this. It like didn't mm. feel like she was hitting on him or like they were really flirting. 
it really felt like something you're like, you go girl, like, you know, something you tell, tell your girlfriend when you're like going out to a bar or something and trying to build up her confidence. I mean, I also think there's, there's a real unspoken racial dynamic happening oh, yeah. with Captain Kim as well, right? Mm-hmm. For for as much as people of any race who aren't white have not succeeded on reality dating shows, I think Asian men have, I mean, maybe Asian women as well, but I know, like, Asian men have, like, barely been cast in a lot yeah. of them. Well, and Asian men and Asian women have very, very different forms yes. of sexualization. Or really, in the case of Asian men, there is, in the U.S., um, in the 19th and early 20th century there was this really big push to basically emasculate them Mm -hmm. and there was a point at which especially on the west coast there was this very large influx of asian men who were coming um to you know do a really wide variety of different forms of labor and the u.s banned asian women from coming So there was this large Asian male population, and then people started worrying that, oh, you know, these these hot Asian men are going to, like, take our white women. (laughs) Um, And so there was really this narrative that got created about Asian men not being sexually powerful or masculine. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's something that really has lasted to this day um and with asian women we get this complete opposite fetishization and especially given kind of the rise in violence recently against asian women there's a lot to be said there there have been a lot of really thoughtful articles written there but in this case we have you know an asian man who is on a reality dating show in a position that you know molly you you noted is of being a hero like he's getting kind of positioned as a hero and yet we also have this kind of grappling of the fact that asian men have not been put into these positions in media and that also affects the woman who he's courting right and i don't want to say like you know she doesn't you know, think he's attractive. Obviously she thinks he's attractive, but there are still things that kind of, that get ingrained a little bit sometimes that you may not be aware of. So it's, it's really hard to kind of think, especially, right, we have, you know, she's a black woman and he's an Asian man. And those are the two demographics that have traditionally done the worst on dating apps. When you look at the data, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's just, it's very, as you said, it's like this very interesting unspoken um, tension here. And I think, you know, this calls to mind one of the things I didn't say about the romance hero is that, again, not always, but too often, the romance hero is white. And it's just assumed oh, yeah. he will be white. And this is true even in interracial romances. Mm-hmm. There's a woman named Piper Hewley. I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly. She's a romance novelist. But she has also written an essay about the ways that romance narratives have really idealized the white man as a romantic hero because he represents certain kinds of like acceptance and stability Mm -hmm. yep Mm -hmm. and i mean i think this is going to sound silly because it's basically the idea of the white male hero is a little bit of a 
trophy. Um, it's like a, a, a signal. Yeah. Like there's this idea that being picked by a white man is a signal that you are acceptable and desirable in the eyes of kind of mainstream society. It's uh, it's like receiving a prize, like getting a gold star, right? Saying like you have arrived. And it's still really privileging this idea that whiteness is not only the thing that we aspire to, but also white people are the arbiters and white men are the arbiters of, of attractiveness. Mm -hmm that they are the ones who determine who gets to be considered beautiful and worthy of love and respect. And unfortunately, I mean, I think that's, that's, that's an unfortunate truth in our kind of current political place that we are in the U.S. Um, and around the world, but like the U.S. has a very special uh, relationship to race and to whiteness. But it's interesting to see these two people who have not kind of traditionally been allowed to be, to occupy the role of hero and heroine. And it'll be interesting to see really whether, despite the fact that each of them really has those characteristics of being a hero, as we discussed with Captain Kim, and of being a heroine, whether they actually are allowed, in the case of Captain Kim, that sort of narrative arc. Mm -hmm. So whether the characteristics are kind of backed up by plot line. <laughs> um, so, okay, I know we have, you know, we've ha that's a really important topic to discuss, but I do want to make sure that we, you know, yeah, get, yeah, yeah. we move on. So, um, meanwhile, really, Mr. Chapman is seen kind of having a blast. He says he used to play football and he misses the camaraderie, um, which really made me think, you know, like it's, again, this is something I love about shows that center uh, female protagonist and a bunch of guys is that the men get this camaraderie where I think that a lot of the time men are not allowed to have relationships and friendships outside of certain spaces like sports. But unfortunately this means that Mr. Chapman is not paying enough attention to <laughs> Miss Remy. She then talks to Mr. King. Um, he admits that he was a bit skeptical of the process at first um, and didn't think that he was going to kind of have that connection with her, which I appreciate that he says this because we don't normally get that sort of admission of, oh, well, I wasn't sure if it was going to work, right? Like, everyone has to trust the process going in, right? Or, like, and specifically trust that they're going to love the the lead, which just isn't how things work, as we see, obviously, with Mr. Zappa. People have different folks they're attracted to. But she takes this well, and they kind of, like, joke and tease each other a little bit about this. I really like their their relationship. Um, we're coming towards the end of Cricket. The scores are a little uneven, and Mr. Mumbry scores a big, he scores a six, so he evens the scores, but then so does Holland, Mr. Holland, so that team wins. Um, then we do have that uh, Miss Remy gets to pick man of the match and she gives it to Mr. Mumbray and he's so pleased with himself and it was really cute. He kind of jokes that, uh, jokes with the other men like that they didn't do great but they showed up. <laughs> um, and Mr. Edwards says, you know, this was a crime against cricket. I don't know, they all seem to have a good time which I think is really the main point. 
And then we see Mr. Castronovo and Mr. Bocchicchio have a conversation where they're talking about being the, the two Italians left towards the end. And here we again get the sense, really, that Mr. Castronovo is just kind of playing a game. He decides that he's, he needs to go interrupt Captain Kim's time again because they're all kind of sitting around having little chats and picnics. Um, and this really just felt a bit, I don't want to say manipulative exactly, but it feels like he knows what he has to do to, or what he thinks he has to do to, you know, get someone out. And in this case, it's, of course, it's to mess with Captain Kim and then to get more time with Miss Remy. But when he does get more time with Miss Remy, he doesn't actually really reveal very much about himself. He interrupts, like, the conversation that she and Captain Kim were having was, like, about to, I think it was, like, am am I remembering correctly? I can't remember exactly. Somebody had asked somebody else, like, a pretty good, insightful question. Mm -hmm. I really wanted to hear more of that conversation. Because this happened last week with Mr. Combs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, um, and, you know, when, when we get this interruption, you see Captain Kim kind of getting... like talking to a producer talking to the camera and it's very clear that someone has asked him like oh are you mad at mr castronovo and he says that he's mad at the situation and i think that's really i mean first off it's like quite pointed that he's saying he's mad at the situation but i think it's true like they don't get a lot of time and he hasn't gotten that opportunity to kind of like get to know and as a result, we don't really get an opportunity to get to know anyone any deeper than what we already have. So it doesn't actually advance anything. And it's just a little frustrating because I feel like we're not getting a sense of who Mr. Castronovo is. We don't learn anything more about Captain Kim. We don't learn anything more about Miss Remy. Ugh. I was frustrated by this and I was annoyed at Mr. Castronovo. But after this, we, after this kind of frustrating end, the, the picnic seems to end. And after the match and the picnic, we see the boys all hanging out in their little lounge area. And the guys ask Safa to spill the beans. Um, it's a very, it's a very like a summer loving, except it's like yeah. hitting on her best friend. Yeah, and it's this weird vibe where like they're all kind of laughing, but like a little uncomfortably, uh-huh. and some of the men like they're like alternating laughing with being like, "Oh God!" <laughs> like you can see them kind of looking a little shocked and looking uncomfortable. It's it's weird, especially because Mr. Sava seems so oblivious. He's like talking as though he's just talking to to the boys back home mm-hmm. or whatever he gives the dumbest smile and I'm just like dude do you like you, what do you not have anything going on in that head of yours like what is happening I mean, the moment you knew he really truly had no clue was when mm-hmm. somebody asked did you think that she was into it like did you think Tessa was, was was vibing and he was like oh yeah I think she was And then we cut to Tez and she is spilling on Mr. Safa and it's very clear that she was not vibing. Like she is here 
as uh, Mr. Shanklin says, to find a man for her friend. She has this job and she is not gonna fail at this one job, right? <laughs> Which is basically to cut through the bullshit of these boys and mm -hmm. she's doing her job well because um, she's, you know, telling Miss Remy what happened. Um, and here you see Obviously, Nicole looks a little annoyed, um, but then we kind of see her transition to this tight smile that she has on. It really struck me that you can just really see her regulating her emotions. And I know this week we've had, there's been a lot of discussion about um, Ketanji Brown Jackson's confirmation hearings to the Supreme Court and how these republican senators have been asking her all of these just obnoxious questions like ted cruz freaking bringing up this picture book and being like do you agree with this picture book that that babies are racist and it's like oh my god why are you like yeah ugh, i don't know anyway like and she like so black women are just expected to regulate their emotions in this way that it felt like was really on display this week in general with Ketanji Brown Jackson and then also with Miss Remy in this episode and in this specific moment where she is clearly annoyed but she's still kind of smiling through it and she is still being very calm and being very thoughtful and she doesn't get to have that moment of just being like what the fuck <laughs> which her sister kind of has a little bit for her and which I appreciated but really she says that she does not appreciate being played and that Safa should bow out if he is not there for her. I will say I don't think that Mr. Safa is smart enough to play anyone, but I really get it. Like, this mm -hmm. is a frustrating moment and a frustrating thing to have happen. And the fact that she is, like, smiling through this bullshit um, just really felt notable. Yes. And then we have a little bit of the other drama of this episode, which is Mr. Castronovo and his reaction to this, which is like, well, the fewer guys here, the better. And again, I just want to say, like, it's not a numbers game. That's not how this works. We then do move on to the one-on-one, -on -one, though, and here we get something that, like, I'm so glad that we got this because it was so much better <laughs> than every, like, than the other drama that's happening um this episode we have mr holland gets the one-on-one -on -one and he i'm so glad that he got it because earlier in the episode he said you know he has only had maybe four or five minutes total with miss remy until this point and i kind of liked that you know we get this admission of how little time they actually get to spend um with the lead before they have a one-on-one -on -one. What they are doing is, quote, taking a spin on a Regency motorbike, also known as a horse. Um, which I know this is such a silly line, but I enjoyed it. Um, they both show up wearing these red cloaks. Um, Mr. Holland's is just ridiculous. I was reading Sylvester by um, Georgette Hare, mm -hmm. and there's this loving description of his many caped cloak that he wears mm -hmm. and it it is exactly that that is what mr yeah. holland was wearing was this like many caped cloak yes or as mr edwards says curtains <laughs> um it does kind of look like curtains 
It was a look. True to Regency decorum, um, she has to ride side saddle, which I felt bad about. It looks very hard, and they're riding off across the country, and they are going to have a picnic. So they end up on this beautiful hill in front of kind of a little monument, um, some sort of pavilion. They have fruit and macarons and champagne and it looks so nice Mm -hmm. um but we kind of get that this thing that a lot of shows do which is this teasing that mr holland has a big heavy secret to tell her and it turns out that that secret is that he has a one-year-old daughter and i think it's interesting how the show kind of treated this and so i um, the daughter of a single father. Hey, me too. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're both the daughters of single fathers. And when I was a kid, my dad was dating, but like he didn't really introduce me to people until after he was like quite certain of them. And it's interesting to me how a lot of the time shows will where there are like dating shows that have single parents on them will treat kids especially in the case of fathers who have children, treat kids as this kind of like big heavy thing that has to be dealt with. And I think that like that has to do with this idea that women will always want biological children and that like there's an idea that women will kind of love their biological children better than their non-biological children. And I was a little concerned that the show was going to start leaning into that when we have this kind of teasing of like this lead up to Mr. Holland telling her about his daughter. But then it actually turned into something much sweeter where he he pulls out a pocket watch with a picture of his daughter in it. And I love that he has, you know, obviously they don't have their phones with them, mm-hmm. but he has this like little locket um a pocket watch this regency appropriate uh costume piece that he gets to carry around and show her um show miss remy and have his daughter's picture in it and miss remy starts tearing up and here i can really tell that she's just like she's a sympathy crier he's not (laughs) crying but she like as someone who cries when i get like easily overwhelmed with emotion I've mentioned this before, like, I totally got it. And she says that, you know, she can kind of see herself being a part of their lives. Um, And this really seemed to have kind of a deep impact on Mr. Holland, um, where I think he was worried that she was not going to react well, and that she does react well to this, he says, makes him like her even more. I'm kind of hoping a little bit more of this conversation happened off camera because I think mm-hmm. there was a very glaring thing that was not discussed, which is what is your relationship with the child's mother? Yeah. Given that the child is so young, especially. Yes. Which, again, I don't think that means like, therefore, he can't be a good partner or therefore, whatever. I just think like that is if <laughs> assuming the the child's mother is still part of the picture, then, you know, when so- when someone's a baby, then that can kind of make a big difference in terms mm-hmm. of what's going on there and yeah. if she's not still part of the picture then that could be complicated unto itself i hope they actually did discuss that a little bit yeah i hope so too it really kind of is something 
to the genre of show that we don't see those sorts of discussions because that sort of discussion is not taken to be like romantic and everything mm-hmm. has to be romantic in some way or another. And I just I, I just want to note that like having discussions about, you know, like practical things. Yes, practical things and like what you want your life to look like and what your life is going to look like. Those things may not fit the kind of traditional like, oh, butterflies in my tummy sort of like there's a spark romance but they are romantic like I think Mm -hmm. that that is something that like there is an intimacy about talking about logistics that is under recognized and underappreciated but they do also kind of get a lighter moment where they're like dancing together um being kind of goofy it was cute um and it seems like this was you know a really good successful date and when he returns the men ask him about it and he says you know it felt like a make or break moment and that he feels like he made it we then get more of mr vokikio's uh kind of jealousy here i feel like the producers have discovered his weak spot and are mm-hmm. just like ha, ha 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 we will make we were just gonna torture mr vokikio which you know what i'm sorry mr vokikio but i'm kind of fine with it you make it easy then she talks to her friend and her sister kind of they're all set up having a nice little picnic again there are lots of picnics in this episode lots of like sitting on blankets drinking champagne in the sunshine it's beautiful weather god i wish that were me i know i'm like it is like our fifth winter in Michigan this year. Um, yes. It's it snowed there, this morning. Yeah, there are flurries outside, and last week it was like seventy degrees. So, dear Lord, um, we we want it to be spring, but that won't happen until mid-April. So we got a couple more weeks to go. But yeah, so in the meantime, we can appreciate the sunshine on this show. So Miss Remy is talking to her sister and to her friend about her some of her doubts actually with some of the men she says you know these are the men that I've had like a good time with on dates so far but there are a few that she needs more from and I liked that we get to see her sister and her friend not only having a more active role but also um, serving as kind of a sounding board here and I wonder if next week we will see more of them or if it will like shift back to her parents one thing I do want to note is that she recognizes that Mr. King is having a hard time because, you know, obviously he has had a lot of loss in his life quite recently. And so she says, you know, she hasn't seen as much from him this week and she doesn't know how much of that is due to kind of, you know, what he's going through and the place that he's at in his life right now. So we we get, you know, some of the men who might potentially be on the the dance card and up for elimination we move from there into the final into the ball um and the elimination dance again her dress is gorgeous but not at all regency appropriate it's got a deep v it's this light periwinkle with appliques the neckline was so beautiful i wish i had the confidence to pull something like that off it's a gorgeous dress and her skin is always so luminous and I just how but we go straight into the dance card essentially and on the dance card are Mr. Chapman, Mr. Shanklin, Mr. King, Mr. Safa, and Mr. Castronovo who um, was (laughs) just prior to this uh, doing some light ribbing of Captain Kim and then 
of course, Mr. Castronova's on the dance card. They all prepare to dance, and she kind of weaves her way between the suitors, and then just picks Mr. Saffa right off the bat. He asks her, like, oh, how are you doing in this kind of low tone? And it's just so obvious that he, like, was never going to address this. So she just stops the dance, and she says, I just can't. I can't. I've got to be real with you. I know what's going on. I know you're not here for me. Dun dun dun. <laughs> so she tells him that it's fine if he's not attracted to her, but not essentially not to take time away from the other men. She says that it's breaking her heart that she sent someone home who was, you know, into her and that she kept Safa because he made her parents feel special and she thought that he was really there for her and then she starts to say it's nothing and then she says no you know what it's not nothing it's my heart and we cut to her father in the background just looking so proud of her and I have in my notes I just have like heart 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 right here because it's so sweet it's such a good moment and I'm so glad that she said you know, she's putting herself first in this. Like, it is not nothing. Mm -hmm. Like, you can see her st almost doing the thing where you kind of please everyone else. But no, this is about her. This is her show. This is about her finding her person. And I'm really just, like, at, obviously her dad is proud of her for kind of standing up for herself here and asserting herself. Yeah, again, when I was saying at the beginning of our recap about how I felt like this episode really showed what makes this show special, and for me it really was all of the interactions she had with her, her sister and her friend, and then even the brief interactions with her parents and just them sort of reacting to her with so much love and pride. I don't know, I just felt like it gave her, it showed her having this like support and dignity and, and kindness that I think like I didn't even realize other shows were withholding from their leads until I saw this. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. And it makes me like her a lot that we get this real range of emotions and her reactions and interactions mm -hmm. with the suitors that, yeah, we don't see, like, I feel like we don't get a ton of information about who she is, but this is how we're coming to know her is through how she interacts with other people. Um, and I think that that's something that, like, yeah, we don't see as much from other shows um, that focus more on that kind of drama. And here it's really about kind of the smaller moments of, like, how she's reacting to other people and comporting herself in relation to them. Mr. Safa says, you know, that he hopes she finds the man of her dreams, and she says she hopes that he does too. And then he tries, when leaving, to ask, like, for her friend's number or something. This was so bizarre. Yeah, he, like, stops on the way out, and you're like, oh, no, he's going to do something. And then he, like, bows over the parents and is saying goodbye to them. And you're like, oh, okay. And then he turns to the friend and is like, hey, so is there some way I could, uh... And then Miss Remy and her sister are just like, nah, dude. <laughs> like, they say, like, you don't need to talk to her. I do wish that Miss Cleary had done this for herself, but it was just wild. Like, what? What do you think you're doing? Like, just leave. Okay. We do see when he leaves, 
I was actually quite surprised by this. He starts tearing up um, mm-hmm. and he says, I've met some really cool guys and that oh. he hopes that they find love and that his time on the show was inspiring. And I was just like, oh man, this, this boy just, this boy just has no, no brain cells. Yeah. <laughs> He's not a bad person. He just, no. he just didn't understand what was happening. Like I really just, like, I know. just sort of he like, just... oh, I'm vibing with this other girl. I'll just ask her out. That's totally fine. Yeah. He misunderstood the assignment. He himboed <laughs> too close to the sun. Um, it was truly weird. Um, her sister asks if she's doing okay, and she says, "Yeah." Um, but I you love can that tell, too. yeah. But you can tell she's annoyed, and this is kind of why I wish that they had saved Mr. Safa for last, because it is weird to cut back to the other men mm-hmm. then and kind of have this like switch because then it kind of casts a little bit of a pall over the rest of it fortunately it like ends up being okay but she dances with mr chapman they talk about how they have chemistry and how he just needs to you know make her feel more seen he says you know like i'll find you in the room (laughs) oh like if you're in a room i'll find you in the room and it's like super corny um and her sister and friend laugh and she tells him that he gets to stay Um, She tells Mr. Shanklin that he always makes her feel seen and heard and that they have a great friendship. Her dad kind of is like makes it, I think it's a joke about like him (laughs) singing more to her, um, which, oh man, like don't encourage him. I will say, I don't think more needs to be said about this, but I just, I did think it was interesting hearing that because I feel like we have not, not the singing part, but I feel like we've got a great friendship. I'm like, where? We have not seen that. Yeah, we have not seen that at all. but it made me, I liked Mr. Shanklin more this episode. Yeah, me too. He didn't so sing. When he's not singing, he's okay. Um, and we got a little bit more kind of commentary from him too. So hopefully he gets to be more color commentary and less singing. But unfortunately, he says he's going to turn up the romantic dial. So I don't think that that's going to happen. I think we're just going to get more singing. And I'm just like, oh God, no. But oh well. Mr. Castronovo, I wrote, looks so comfortable dancing and talking at the same time. Um, (laughs) I'm amazed. But she basically tells him he needs to bring his Italian passion. And so she keeps him as well, which leaves Mr. King. Uh, And we know that Mr. King is leaving because we have been told that two men will leave. Mr. Safa has already left, and that leaves Mr. King. And here, everyone starts crying. Mr. King starts crying. She goes to hug him, and they're sobbing. And her mother says, you know, this young man has been through so much tragedy, and it breaks my heart. And Miss Remy, instead of making him dance, thank God she didn't make him dance, she just holds him mm-hmm. against her shoulder, and he's crying, and he's kind of laughing because because he's crying, and he says, I don't cry, I'm sorry, I don't cry, I just met you, like, what, obviously, I just met you and you're making me cry, like, what is going on? And she is just racked by sobs, and I appreciated that, like... <laughs> She's not she's not an ugly crier by any means, but she's not like a pristine picture perfect crier. Um and so it just it felt real and she tells him because he keeps saying like I'm sorry I don't cry and we saw him do that before, she tells him, If you take anything away from this, it's to feel every emotion that you have, you mean so much to me. It's just I'm not sure. I'm not sure. 
um, and he whispers, it's okay, it's okay. And what I really got from this is that she's protecting him. Yeah. She recognizes and like obviously she recognizes that he is going through a difficult time she's not maybe sure if he's quite ready for this and i think she doesn't want to you know keep him there if she already knows that maybe she doesn't feel that spark Mm -hmm. um and so sending him home i think is really kind of doing him a kindness because he's already experienced so much loss that I think keeping him longer and risking kind of hurting him would like I don't think she wants to be cruel yes I I read I read it the exact same way yeah and that's something that is also quite different for this show from others where maybe he might have been kept for the drama of his rejection we've seen other shows really treat contestants as disposable as um you know, they, we milked them for the drama and it obviously hurt them, but, you know, we got the shots we needed out of it, mm-hmm. right? And I really appreciate that this show is recognizing the humanity of the contestants and the lead. But yeah, at this point, he says that meeting her gave him hope. She is fully sobbing. <laughs> Um, she tells him not to apologize because he's incredible and as he leaves they all clap and he has like such a sweet exit with her family he says you know her family is amazing and as he's leaving he says to the camera or like we like hear his voice that um it's okay to be vulnerable it's okay to be you yeah and from a guy who hasn't let himself cry or who has obviously felt bad about letting himself cry on camera like this felt so special yes yes it did um yeah again it's it's rare to see an elimination like this and be like that was beautiful but but it kind of was um I also loved that as he was leaving you had all the the men up on their balcony you know going like Achilles Achilles like we love you man Mm -hmm. and like you cut to them they're crying crying. (laughs) Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So obviously this is like a very emotional elimination and she says, you know, this is so tough. And the one silver lining in all of this is that with each person I'm sending home, I'm learning so much about myself. And that is something that like I wanted to draw attention to because it's so different from the kind of bachelor bachelorette model of you know, with each person I'm sending home, I'm one step closer to finding my spouse. And it recognizes really that this process is something that, and like dating and love and, you know, each person that you meet also kind of teaches you something about, about yourself. And so it's like much more complex than just like the kind of numbers game that we, we were getting before. Her mom says that she's proud of her and I just, I just love them. I don't know. Yeah. Me too. And then, yeah. And so with that, you would think we are done, but we're the down last to nine thing, contestants. Eleven except... contestants. Oh. Uh, yeah. Anyway, that's Either not way. the case. That's However not actually the case for long. Yeah. Um, because Mr. Edwards tells us not for long, and there's this dramatic opening of the doors and in walk two new men. 
gasps all around. Everyone seems shocked. From the from the um, previews, this seems to be the way that they are kind of injecting drama, because they all already know each other and like each other, and now we have these two newcomers who, I guess, are kissing her. Okay. <laughs> Unfortunately, not each other. Um, <laughs> the internet tells me their names are Jesse Judge and Tim Hatem. So that's all I know about them. But uh... All right. Well, we will see more of them next week. Um, yes. When they stir up some drama by just being there. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. that That is our episode. Um, Molly, I know we've gone... Uh, longer than I had already intended. <laughs> we keep doing this. <laughs> but I just want to kind of end by asking you if there's anything you're looking forward to next week. I am looking forward to more Mr. Cones, of course. Yes. And I'm also looking forward to, there was some stuff in the preview that indicated that Mr. Bakikio may be having a bit of a downfall. Ooh. And <laughs> no, maybe downfall is too strong of a word, but uh, I think maybe a reckoning. And mm. I think I'm I'm intrigued where that goes. He's been someone I haven't really known how to feel about since the beginning. Yes. And as ever, I'm always looking forward to seeing more of her court. How about you? So I, I'm interested to know whether we will actually get to know these other two men. I am interested to see kind of what aspect of the Regency they choose to play up next for the group date. And it seems to be fencing, perhaps, which could go disastrously, could also just be really funny. I'm also interested to see whether her her court, we get a bit more of a balance between her friends and sister and her parents. So we'll see kind of the evolving role that they play there. All right, so thank you for listening to Truths Universally Acknowledged. I'm Emma I'm Molly. And you can find us on Twitter at um, Chingon Academic and at MJ Curran, K-E-R-A-N. We are still sorting out exactly what our new upload schedule will be with the changing time of the show. It now airs on Wednesday nights, but we'll, it should be the weekend regardless, Saturday or Sunday. Yeah, thank you. So tune in on the weekends um, to hear more about uh, the courtship and regency and romance. Uh, and maybe a special Bridgerton episode. Uh, and leave us a rating and review if you enjoyed the show. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.